friends, welcome to the Bride Tender Podcast. I'm your host, Esty Gordon, and I'm here to tend to the brides like I tend to the bar. So mix yourself a cocktail and let's get ready to discuss all things weddings. Today, I'm super excited to be here with Steven Sender from Sophisticated Weddings Magazine. Um, you know, we met a while back when I was still working at the Glen Cove Mansion on Long Island, but Stephen has so much experience with weddings, what goes on, especially in all of New York and the tri-state area. And I knew when doing this podcast, I had to have him on to pick his brain. So Stephen, first off, thank you so much for coming on today. Oh my God, not at all. Thank you for having me. Um, I'm excited to pick your brain and get your inside scoop because I feel like you, like you're a man about the wedding industry and you know so many people and I feel like you can kind of give some insight and advice to what you think the industry is going to look like moving forward. Sure. Uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, when you're talking about the industry, it has to get very specific because whether it's Manhattan or Long Island or New Jersey um, is going to determine what it will look like. Um, so, you know, for instance, <clears throat> so as of uh, March 15th, weddings can happen again in New York City um, of up to a certain number of people. But there are some big venues whose minimums fall uh, above or, or their minimums are above that that maximum number of people that they're allowed to host on March 15th. So those venues are actually not going to open right away um, because it just, it wouldn't pay for them to turn the lights on and bring back all their employees uh, or turn the air conditioning on when June hits. And don't forget for all of the venues that have mostly been idle for the last year, it's not just having their staff show up again on March 15th and start working parties. It's having their staff show up two weeks prior so that they can retrain them because these people haven't worked in a year. Right. So for some, for some of those venues, it's just not cost effective to open up right away and they have no choice but to wait until um, the mandates are lifted even further. And that parties can happen for up to 200 people rather than 150 or 50% or whatever it is. Um, so, but that's Manhattan. In the suburbs, um, they can't wait to be back. <laughs> uh, and some of them haven't waited to come back. Um, but uh, in New Jersey and Long Island, they're going to be very, very busy. Um, and I think for anybody who postponed their wedding in a vague way, like they were supposed to get married last year and they didn't, they postponed only in the sense that they said, okay, well, it's not going to happen this year, let meaning 2020, and they haven't set their new date yet, they better hurry up because they're going to find themselves unable to find an available date in 2021 or even 2022. That's how booked up the New Jersey and Long Island venues are. Uh, I mean, forget about a Saturday night. <laughs> so, yeah. I, yeah, I have a friend who was supposed to get married in September of 2020, and yeah. she moved to summer of 2021, and she had to move from a Saturday to a Friday because it just wasn't available. 
Oh yeah, I mean, I'm hearing about Tuesday weddings. Um, <laughs> so there's a, um, a venue in New Jersey, a very popular venue that I love um, called Park Chateau. And, and we've shot some, uh, uh, some features there and they just opened up, uh, just before the beginning of the year, they opened up their brand new boutique hotel called the Chateau Grand. And we shot our cover there for 2021. And they wanted to do some sort of an event for when the magazine came out, but also to show the new hotel to the industry. Right. Um, so in the past, we would have, you know, an 800 guest release party. There was no way that was going to happen, but they thought maybe a 200 to 300 person cocktail party. But then we sat down and they opened up their, their, um, their calendar book. And they said, well, because the hotel and the venue are on the same property, we want to do it on a night when the venue is available also. And starting the beginning of March, they couldn't find a single night between March and the end of July when the venue wasn't already booked. I mean, it's between the postponed weddings, the weddings that had to relocate because their original venue closed, um, and then the dates that were already booked because most, you know, a lot of people book well over a year out. Yeah. Um, literally every day of the week, Sunday through Saturday, is booked at that venue from the first week of March through the end of July. And then it slows down in August and after the Jewish holidays in the fall, back to being booked every day of the week with the exception of Thanksgiving and Christmas. <laughs> so, yeah, so everybody out there, hurry up. <laughs> Listen, I mean... As somebody in the wedding industry and who works on the venue side, being booked up is an amazing problem to have. Yeah. Um, but yeah, it's it's definitely, it's so different. Um, I live on Long Island, um, but I work in Manhattan. And um, the differences just between Manhattan and Long Island and Jersey, it's so, it's such a big difference. It's a vast difference. Yeah of, you know, what was allowed, what wasn't allowed. And um, I think everybody's excited to see that 150 max right now, mm -hmm. but there's still just so much to kind of like navigate around. Um, yeah, you know, no, absolutely. You have that amount of guests in. Yeah. And it's not forever. I mean, it's Manhattan. It's going to be back. It's just not going to be back this summer. <laughs> true. Yes. Yeah. Yes. That's definitely true. So I wanted to ask you, like, how are you doing during this time with everything going on? Uh, I mean, you mean with the magazine as a business? Yeah, just, you know, you personally, well, the magazine, everything. Yeah, I mean, it depends. I mean, you know, every other conversation I have with, with people in the industry is different. You know, on the one hand, I could be talking to, you know, the owner of the Park Chateau in New Jersey, and while things haven't been very busy for them this past year he's more concerned about the next two years going forward and just being worked non-stop which is a good problem to have yeah. but then in the next conversation I could be on the phone with the owner of a Manhattan venue that typically has a 200 person minimum for a Saturday night booking and that you know that owner is telling me you know, we don't know that it will pay to turn on our air conditioning in July and August. So we're going to wait until September to reopen. So, you know, from our standpoint, for the magazine as a business, it just meant, you know, stay in touch with the Manhattan people, but put a little more focus on the suburbs because we have to fill at least 160 pages. 
So, uh, and you know, the, the way that reflects in reality is for the first time ever, we shot our cover in the suburbs uh, and our main cover feature in the suburbs, so. Yeah, I mean, but it kind of shows that you're very on brand with everything going on right now. Well, we're serving our readership, you know, the, the, the people who are reading our magazine that want to have, you know, their dream wedding know that it might not be so feasible in Manhattan right now. It probably will be soon. I'm confident about that, but probably, you know, is an uncertain kind of word. <laughs> so we're serving our readership by giving them the options they have available to them on Long Island and in uh, New Jersey and Westchester. Um, so yeah because you see that like a lot of people who were planning to have Manhattan weddings who didn't pretend, like actually postpone they kind of moved forward with that date or or something but in a different location just yep. to you know so that they wouldn't lose like their wedding date yeah yeah I mean look they, there's there's lots of other things to to consider also I mean you know a, a couple can fall in love with various elements of their wedding and you know the way a bride falls in love with her dress uh they can fall in love with the band they have or that that they've booked or the photographer that they have booked and there's um anxiety about those vendors that they're in love with not being able to work their wedding on their postponed date so it's not just about the venue yeah no absolutely and obviously we saw even in these times, we saw a big rise of backyard weddings, outside yeah. weddings. And, you know, with that, um, you know, I, I tend to mention this a bunch on this podcast, you know, a lot of people think backyard weddings are less expensive, which is absolutely a fallacy. But, yeah. <laughs> you know, um, you have to bring everything in. You're bringing every chair, every linen, every, yeah. you know, a dance floor down a tent. It's, Re it's remember, um, remember the scene in the father of the bride remake, the, the first one, Steve Martin, when they're having dinner at, at the family table. And she says that she was thinking about a wedding in the backyard. And Steve Martin goes like this and looks towards the backyard. And in his mind, he's picturing him at the barbecue grill and somebody making <laughs> balloon animals. I feel like anybody who thinks a backyard wedding is less expensive, that's what they have in mind. That's what they have in mind. But right. the reality is this is the New York tri-state area, you know? Right. Um, a bride is not going to wear her $9,000 gown to, uh, you know, a barbecue. <laughs> Um, so yeah, so it's the rentals, it's the tent, because you have to put down that money in case it rains. And right. maybe, maybe you won't need the tent, but you still have to pay for it. Yeah. Um, there, then there's also, depending on how many guests you're going to have, you've got to get those permits with the city that you live in, because all of your guests have to park somewhere. Yeah. Um, so th there's, there's a lot that goes into a backyard wedding. And when you start to look at the logistics of it, with that kind of a wedding, even more so than at a top venue, you need a planner and yeah. planners have a price tag. Mm -hmm. So, so yes, the backyard wedding can be, if, if done right, uh, more expensive than at a venue. Do you think being that now we've had, you know, approximately seven, eight months of micro weddings having been allowed then taken away and, you know, there's logistics, but um, 
of 50 people. Do you think that that's a trend that's going to stay like past this and like people staying small and intimate, but like spending more money in other areas? I think it's going to stay until... I mean, it's not like one day they'll be there and the next day they'll be gone. It'll it'll go away slowly. You know, it'll be like fog. It'll slowly lift. But I think what it'll ultimately come down to is the dance floor. As soon as weddings in the tri-state area are allowed to have a packed dance floor, um, you're going to see those little weddings go away. Um, I mean, to, to look at it from the, again, from the perspective of the dress. See, we're always thinking about the dress because we get emails from brides who are looking for their dress before they even have their wedding date. And we know of plenty of instances of the last uh, nine years that we've been doing the magazine of brides who got their dress before they had a fiance. So those those brides who are in love with that dress and some of them have more than one dress for their wedding, they want to be seen by as many people as possible. (laughs) Um, and, And, you know, a small wedding or an intimate wedding or a micro wedding or a cozy wedding, whatever you want to call it, um, that's not enough of an audience. <laughs> um, they want their 200 to 400 to 600 guests. Um, you know, and that, that's, you know, that's just the generic bride. Then there's also the more specific categories within weddings, like the religious weddings, um, South Asian weddings, religious Jewish weddings. They don't do anything micro. <laughs> Yeah, um, right, you know, right. Th- those traditions and customs call for 400 plus people. Um, so, uh, and then the other thing is, uh, you know, when you say micro wedding, and this is something else that we discovered last uh, summer in the emails from our readers, is for a lot of people, the word micro has a negative stigma. Um, so, you know, we came up with the term cozy wedding just so that our readers who felt they had no other option other than to have the intimate wedding could feel a little bit better about it because cozy doesn't have the same stigma that they were assigning to the word micro. I think, um, I, I think it's, it's a, I mean, I hate to say it because there are some people that, you know, chose to go this route and may still go this route, but it is something of a consolation prize. Um, but then again, at the same time, there were plenty of couples who did the the um, the intimate wedding, and they considered it their for now wedding, and they're still going to have the big one, you know, as soon as they're allowed. Yeah, I think that um, micro weddings, cozy weddings, like I think that it will stick around, but yeah. it's going to be for like the specific bride who wants to input their money in some other places Mm -hmm. and they're seeing I might not need 200 people but I need the floral arrangements that are to the ceiling and I need the ceiling insulation and I need all of that so it kind of is like I think it's still something that will be around for you know an extended period of time but I do totally hear what you're saying about you know the bride and the dress and and, you know, if you're spending 10 grand on a dress, you want everybody and anyone to see it. So, yeah, I mean, you know, to, to the other argument uh, in terms of uh, are the intimate weddings here to stay or not? I think that the last year and the year is not over yet, you know, it's going to be a few more months of this. But I think the pandemic as a whole has inspired a lot of couples to reevaluate their priorities. 
And for some of them, they've realized that just being together is the important thing. And if it's getting married with 16 people or 600 people, you know, all of a sudden the 600 person wedding might not be as important to them. So, and and another plus I'll tell you for the, for the, the cozy wedding is, you know, most of those intimate weddings are happening in a restaurant. Um, And what I like about that a lot is they now have a place to go. They can go back to their wedding every year on their anniversary, as long as that restaurant stays in business. Um, It's one of the things I've always liked about the hotel wedding for your anniversary. You can always return to the place where you got married as your anniversary tradition. Yeah. So I think that's really nice too. It is nice. Um, It's nice to have something that you can go back to every single year. So I agree with you on that. And show your kids. And show your kids. Yep. And then, you know, um, you know, coming from a venue background, then you have the kids, big events there as well. There's it becomes this special occasion place for your family. Absolutely. Yeah. So, I mean, look, the, the, the smaller weddings are not a bad thing. Um, but in the end, I do think it comes down to uh, just celebration. You know, you use that word and you think in, you know, or in your mind, you just automatically see lots of people. Right. Um, and most couples have more than 16 to 24 members in their family and close friends. And, you know, and all of a sudden a guest list can balloon. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, there's so many people who are like, oh no, I can do 150 people. And then they put the list together and before you know it, you're at 275. Yeah. And you're like, how did that almost double? Yeah. 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 <laughs> so. Now I, I, we've also seen situations with the smaller weddings where a couple will commit in the abstract to doing a smaller wedding, whether it's in place of, or just for now of the big wedding that had to be, that couldn't happen. And then they make their list of their important dozen or 16 or 24 um, family and friends. And if one couple can't make it, all of a sudden that 16 person guest list becomes 14. And that can be enough for them to say, okay, let's just wait for the big party when the pandemic is over. Right. So it's ultimately as nice, as much as there are nice elements to the intimate wedding, I do think it'll slowly disappear. Yeah. Yeah. I think it's just in due time mm-hmm. as things return to normalcy, which hopefully will be soon because uh, I think it's going to be very soon. <laughs> I think that the best part about the March 15th date is not so much what is going to be allowed as of March 15th, but that it's a stepping stone to what will come next. You know, the next two and three steps after that, I think what we'll, it will come down to is, at the risk of, you know, heading into a political conversation, I think it'll come down to how responsible people are about um, the weddings that they have immediately after March 15th. Are they going to stick to that 150 max or are they going to try and fudge it a little bit up to 200? Are they not going to have a dance floor because they're really not supposed to? Or at 10 o'clock when they think the cops have gone off shift, they're going to start playing dance music and dance. Um, if people are responsible and we don't see an increase in positive cases, I think that that 150 number will very quickly become 200. Um, And I think another thing to consider is there are things that aren't being mandated for the weddings post March 15th that people still can do. 
So for instance, nobody is saying that you must have a company at your wedding that does rapid tests before your guests can be allowed in. But those companies are available. And if you can afford to utilize them, you're going to see a lot less uh, instances of weddings leading to an increase in, in positive cases. And yeah. that will lead to the 200 and then 200 plus number much sooner. Um, and then if you don't want to go the rapid testing route, there, is, there are now apps um, that you can get. There's an app called Bindle that's people are talking about a lot already wow. where you let your guests know in advance to download the app for free. And all they have to do is within, I think it's 48 hours of your wedding, go and get a rapid test or go and get a COVID test. And when it shows that they're negative, they get a barcode in their app that then gets scanned as they enter your wedding 24 hours later. Um, So I, I, and you know, it costs the venues something like less than 20 cents per guest. So it's insignificant. I think if people take advantage of these things, they're going to have um, safer, more responsible um, uh, gatherings. And, you know, the more responsible and safe everybody is, the sooner it will be that we'll see the small weddings disappear. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, You know, I wanted to ask you because you touched on something before that um, I think is so, so interesting and also just like fun is that like women and their dresses and how important it is. And you have like a whole section on the Sophisticated Weddings website, which showcases all of the like upcoming trunk shows and designer showcases. And I think that it's just something cool for us to talk about because it's something that no other like magazine is showcasing. And there are a bunch of bridal magazines. We all know that the knot comes out and brides and whatnot, but this is something like everybody cares to see the dress in magazines. And now it's like they have a spot that they can go to, to see when all their big designers are, are being showcased at Kleinfeld or some of the top, top dress stores in in Manhattan. Well, I mean, so those those trunks, so you're talking about the events page on our magazine's website. Um, Yeah. Mostly what that lists are just all the trunk shows and sample sales. Um, that are coming up within the next month or so. Um, the truth is it doesn't show all of them because trunk shows are so popular that the reservation book fills up so quickly that the bridal salon will actually say, can you take it down from your events calendar, your events page? Um, because we want people to come on another weekend. <laughs> um, every New York bridal salon and the, the Jersey bridal salons are, are starting to do this more and more also um, has a trunk show or a sale or both every weekend of the year. Um, and what that usually means is the designer will be there at the salon because this is the New York area. You know, we're not talking about Wisconsin or Iowa where it's inconvenient for a New York or LA based designer to come to the, you know, that, that town for the weekend, but in New York, the designers will be there in person. So you can actually meet with the designer, which is important because when you brides need to know if they don't know it yet. And a lot of them don't realize this until they start their shopping. When you go to find your dress, you're not selecting a dress off the rack and trying it on. 
all they have there is a sample of the dress you might want to wear. And you try that on and they clip it to your body because uh, it's rarely exactly your size. And then they make your dress from scratch. Uh, and that's ultimately what you wear is a brand new dress that's never been worn by anybody else. But if the designer is there, the designer can give you more options than simply what's on the, the sample. So for instance, if you're looking at a dress and you're looking in the mirror and you're going, well, I love this and this, but I don't know about this. The designer goes, no problem. This is what we can do. Um, and, and it rarely does it cost you any, the bride, anything extra. It's just the designer being there to, to work with you. And, you know, it can be looked at from the perspective of now you're really getting something custom. <laughs> um, the other thing that typically happens with the trunk shows is just because a bridal salon carries a particular designer doesn't mean they have every dress that designer makes or even every dress within the latest line or collection. You know, if a, if a collection has 16 dresses, you know, sometimes a smaller salon will only take seven or eight of the dresses from that collection. But during the trunk show, the entire collection is sent for that weekend. So now if, you, if a bride has a designer that she's fallen in love with from the internet or the magazines, this is an opportunity to see even more of her, that designer's dresses. Um, so yeah, so the, um, the trunk shows are very, very, very popular. And knowing that it's been, I think about four years since we added the events calendar to our website. Um, and, uh, it's worked out really well. <laughs> it's yeah. I mean, it's definitely something that is so needed and like people are always wondering, you know, when they should go to try on a dress and it gives you like a good opportunity to do so. Yeah. And look, not every bride ultimately buys the dress that she goes in to try on. Right. Um, Cause dresses look a lot different on the model than they do. I mean, even us, when we select the dresses for our features, we pick the ones first from photos that we want to see, but then we have to see them in person before we commit to using them in the magazine because everything looks different in person. You know, yeah. Yeah. A, a color can look different under one light versus another light. Um, you know, the way a dress fits on one woman's shoulders is very different from how it'll fit on the next woman's shoulders. So, you know, a lot of brides do end up buying something that they hadn't even considered prior to their appointment, uh, which is something else every bride needs to know. Don't just show up. You have to make an appointment at these bridal Absolutely. I mean, they needed that really pre-COVID, but now with COVID, like you need an yeah. appointment. Just well, like I mean, you, you know, I mean that regardless, like you mentioned Kleinfeld, you know, Kleinfeld has the TV show Say Yes to the Dress and, and it has a lot of fans. And I can't tell you how many pre-COVID, how many times a day a woman with her mother usually would show up at Kleinfeld saying, I'm getting married. I'd like to try on some dresses, not realizing they needed an appointment because they're watching the show somewhere in another part of the country and they scheduled a trip to come to New York and then they get there you know, on a Friday or a Saturday, only to find out there are no available appointments. Right. So even even pre-pandemic, you needed an appointment. Yeah. Um, but now you especially need an appointment. <laughs> so, yeah, no, absolutely. Yeah. And then the other thing to consider in the New York area with regard to the, the dress and the trunk shows and the sales and the appointments is, you know, in the New York area, the average, and again, pre-COVID, the average cost of a Saturday night wedding is now $93,000. 
as opposed to the rest of the country where state by state, the range is $20,000 to $65,000. New York has this huge gap from the second most expensive wedding to where we are. And part of the reason why the New York area has such, that big, uh, such a big jump is a lot of our brides wear two dresses. They have their ceremony dress and then they have their party dress that they change into after the father-daughter dance. So, um, you know, all the more reason for uh, us to, to help the brides out with when all those trunk shows are, um, because they're on a very serious mission. <laughs> it's so true. It's like, just as New Yorkers, we totally understand these New York brides and New York weddings. Yeah. I think people who might live out of town might be like, oh my God, two dresses. But like, this is New York people. We yep. don't mess around. No, not, not even for a second. <laughs> um, I know of one situation, <laughs> this is a few years ago, where a bride who we happen to know personally, um, so that's why I know her story, um, by the day of her wedding had five dresses. Wow. And she was able to afford it. And she certainly didn't wear all five. She wore two and that was always the plan. But she had such a hard time deciding that she wound up getting five dresses. Wow. That is, that would be a lot of outfit changes. That's extravagant. Not everybody can do it, but um, this is the New York area. This is, you know, people of means live here and the, the wedding is their, you know, one time most special day and uh, they're not going to skimp. That absolutely not, not here in New York. No. And when we say New York, we have to say, you know, it's, New York area, because it really includes New Jersey now. Uh, yeah. Um, Yes. You know, New Jersey, in a way, was really, really ready for this pandemic in that in the last four and five years, New Jersey was stepping up its game big time. You know, you had these venues uh, like Park Chateau and their two sister locations and Legacy Castle, uh, Crystal Plaza that just did a major renovation. They, I don't want to offend them by saying they had a little chip on their shoulder about New York, but We'll just say it. They had a little chip on their shoulder about New York, and they didn't necessarily want to build or have the best venue in New Jersey. They wanted to have a venue that was on par, if not better, than the venues in New York City. And they spent the last four and five years doing that. So now the pandemic hits, and Manhattan has more strict mandates than New Jersey, um, and it's a little harder for Manhattan to come back from the pandemic than it is for New Jersey. New Jersey was ready for this. That's yeah. why their venues are so booked up for the next year and a half. Yeah. And I mean, you can see just online, on Instagram, like these New Jersey venues really did level up over the past couple of years. They, um, they're stunning. They're oh, absolutely. absolutely. And, and here's the thing. It's, I mean, it, it is apple and oranges, so it's unfair to compare a New Jersey venue to a New York venue, but that goes both ways. You know, Manhattan is Manhattan. It, it has its own personality and its own energy, but there's no Manhattan venue that has enough property for you to land a helicopter so the bride and groom can make a big entrance. Yes. Or like with the South Asian weddings, um, you know, the, there's the big tradition of um, having the groom enter in on an elephant or a horse. Very difficult to do in New York. There, there's one venue that I know of that has been able to do it. That's Tribeca Rooftop because their neighborhood is pretty um, dead 
on the weekends uh, as opposed to the rest of Manhattan. So they can get away with having a horse go down those cobblestone streets, but the rest of Manhattan can't can accomplish that. Whereas in the suburbs, you know, typically the venue has a lot of property and you can have that, you know, that big introduction for your groom on the horse or the elephant. There are a few venues that have enough property for a helicopter to be landed. Um, the suburban venues can have fireworks shows, whereas here in New York City, there's only a couple of venues that can do that. Um, so, it, you know, again, it is apple and oranges, apples and oranges. <laughs> yeah, no, um, absolutely. It's, it's really just up to your taste. And it's up to what a bride and groom need for their day. Yeah. Yeah. And then, you know, then the flip side of the coin is if you have relatives coming in from out of town to the New York area, do you want them in Manhattan or do you want them an hour outside of Manhattan? <laughs> you know, here in Manhattan, there are going to be more options for hotel blocks, you know, because your guests have various um, budgets that, you know, what they can afford and what they can't afford. Um, so there are just more and less options associated with a New York venue versus a suburban venue. Every time I do this, I'm pointing towards New Jersey. <laughs> um, I wanted to ask you about the magazine because obviously um, the magazine has grown so much over the past, you know, bunch of years. How did you get started with it? And how did, how do you get started in the wedding industry? Um, it was a combination of a business idea and a love for weddings. So um, my wife, she's not in any of those pictures. Uh, my wife, Samantha, is our editor-in-chief. She writes every word in the magazine. Um, she, including the destination articles, it, it was kind of a the real thorn in our side that the pandemic hit when it did because our 2020 edition was our best ever destination section. Um, Samantha traveled to Antarctica. She traveled to South Africa, to the Scottish Highlands, all over, so that she could write about these articles for the adventurous couples for their honeymoons or destination weddings, you know, and only to put it out in an edition when nobody's allowed to travel. <laughs> um, so that was kind of a bummer. But she does, she did have a love for wedding planning um, and a more specific love for what was available to a couple for their wedding planning in the New York area. I had just finished doing a magazine up in Westchester, a dining guide with the New York Times that was very similar to what our, our wedding magazine is now. And Samantha had the idea to do that kind of a magazine for weddings here in New York, for wedding planning in here in New York. And then the next part of the idea was to make it very specific. Um, you know, you mentioned some of those other publications and they're great. They've been around a long time. Where they differ from us in, uh, first is they cover a much bigger geographic area, um, whether it's nationwide or just going well beyond the tri-state area. Um, it's, it's a big radius. We started out keeping it specific only to New York City. And the only reason we started branching out to Long Island and New Jersey and the other suburbs is we were selling a lot of magazines there. Um, and there was just a demand. So we had to broaden our radius a little bit to the suburbs. And, and we kind of have a 90-minute rule, a 90-minute drive from Midtown Manhattan. Um, 
And then to make it even more specific than that, beyond just being very um, uh, specific to the New York area, our magazine, it was our decision to make it specific to the top two tiers of what the New York area offers. And it wasn't about being snobby per se, it was about a term that we call targeted readership. And this is where the business end of it comes in. We wanted our advertisers and potential advertisers to open up the magazine or go to the website and get a very clear picture of who our readership was based on our content. Um, so, you know, not to knock the weddings that fall under those top two tiers because everybody's money is the same shade of green. Um, but we wanted to narrow, um, uh, again, our targeted readership. And, and that was the plan. And that was how, that's a big part of how uh, our magazine grew as quickly as it did. Um, so, And now also, you know, with with like the audience that you're targeting, which is like a high-end audience, you all you have high-end vendors and venues within that magazine. What um, what do vendors and venues need to do to kind of like reach out to you to discuss being in the magazine? Since you do like a one, it's like one big issue a year, so it's probably a far out process to kind of discuss this with. Yeah. I mean, it, it can be, you know, it's just like a wedding. You got to plan it well in advance. Um, yeah. So we come out once a year and we're actually about to come out with our 2021 edition, but then uh, six months in, uh, in August, we go back on press. And what we're really doing is reprinting the supply of magazines for the second half of the year. We don't change the cover, but we can change things inside the magazine um, and we can certainly add some pages. So typically we do wind up adding about 16 to 20 pages. Uh, for instance, I just signed off on two <laughs> photo shoots that will inevitably be features in the reprint in August. We're not even on pre uh, off press yet with our 2021 edition, but when we go back on press in August, we'll be adding two features with two celebrities, um, which is nice. Um, but um, in terms of getting into the magazine for the venues, the vendors, um, most of it happens just by them emailing us through the website. Um, sometimes I'll get a call, usually it's emails. Um, you know, they were at Barnes and Noble or more likely Whole Foods and they saw our magazine by the checkout line. How do we get into this? That, that, that's the most common email from a, a photographer or a florist. I was online at Whole Foods. I saw your magazine. How do I get into this? <laughs> um, with the venues, it's more common that they come to us uh, because of the website uh, or the bridal salons, you know, because uh, largely because of that events calendar with all the trunk shows, we'll get uh, the email, you know, how do we get into this? The harder part for us has not been signing people up. It's been tactfully and politely telling somebody they're not appropriate for our magazine. Um, but again, you know, there's a targeted readership and we want to keep our content specific. And we also don't want a client that is unhappy with us because their investment, their advertising investment didn't serve them well, simply because they didn't fit in. Um, that's not a fun conversation to have. Yeah, no, I, I can imagine not. And yeah. 
you know, I think as a vendor, as a venue, um, when you're going to do any kind of marketing, you know, advertising for your business, you really have to know your audience. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's just simply knowing your audience, you know, it's, it's who, it's two things. It's who do you, who is your potential clientele? Who do you want your clientele to be? But then it's also, is that realistic? Um, there are plenty of people who see themselves high end or see themselves or a venue that sees itself as comparable to the Pierre or the Plaza or Cipriani, and they're just not. <laughs> um, so you really have to be just as a business person, honest with who you are and what you offer. And again, there's nothing wrong with being a different kind of venue than the Pier or the Plaza, um, because the money that you'll collect is the same shade of green as the money that the Pierre collects. It's just if you want to be successful, knowing who your, your audience is, because um, not everybody has the same audience. In terms of you know, planning in advance from a business standpoint, in terms of our magazine, they just have to think about what they want. Like the venues, it's easy. The venues are listed alphabetically. So as long as there's time before press time for us to get them in the magazine, we're going to do it regardless of when they come to us. But if they want a two-page spread in the front portion of the magazine, or if they want to be on the back cover, or if they want to be considered as a place where we shoot one of our features, um, they better come to us in advance. We, we shot our feature, like I said, at the Chateau Grand in New Jersey, um, and we had a celebrity couple. It was uh, Daniela and Pasha, who were two of the pros on Dancing with the Stars. That was, I want to say, nine months in the making. Um, you know, we, we didn't shoot it until this past January because we had to wait for the hotel to be open and ready for us to shoot there. Um, but we knew for nine months that it was coming. Yeah. Yeah, well, people don't understand that these photo shoots, they take months and months of preparation to, to do it right. Yeah, I mean, uh, there have been a couple of times where I've planned a photo shoot in as little as a week. <laughs> um, and our reader would never know the difference. But we know, my wife and I, on our end, if we are photographing our first choice or our almost first choice. <laughs> um, so, and, you know, and then other things happen. There's this couple right here. That's uh, Cynthia Bailey from uh, the Real Housewives franchise. And they just got married this past October. That's her husband, Mike Hill from um, Fox Sports. He's a big guy. He doesn't fit a sample size, which meant it took a little, you know, for, for somebody like this guy, all I have to do is email my favorite men's clothier and they'll send a tuxedo that will fit him because he fit the sample size. For somebody like him, it took finding the place that had the tuxedos that we liked for the shoot and had them in his size. Right. <laughs> so that's not a shoot that would be so easy to plan in a week. That's a shoot that takes to do it right a, at least a couple of months. And if I have more than a couple of months, all the better. And speaking about shoots, you know, we'd be remiss if we didn't say that you guys do some of the most stunning photo shoots and you get some of like, re you're very like on brand with who you bring on that you like, 
even the people that you bring on to do these photo shoots, um, you know, your celebrity clientele is always top notch and like very on trend with what's going on in, in the wedding universe, in pop culture, anything mm -hmm. like that. You know, we talked about Cynthia Bailey. We talked about Danielle, Daniela and Pasha who are coming up in this, um, this year's, uh, you know, magazine. Um, you've had shoots with Val and Jenna. Um, obviously, if, okay. if anybody doesn't know, they're from Dancing with the Stars, but I'm sure you already know. Um, and you have, you know, I don't know if we can say who's coming on, who's not for this year. I like, I'm like, I don't want to say, it, you know? No, but no, it's fine. <laughs> you know, it's, <laughs> it, 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 the, the foundation for these shoots in terms of making them look good is very simple. We're shooting at the best venues in the world. You know, uh, with our magazine being specific to the top two tiers, those venues are gorgeous. <laughs> so no way are we going to bring these couples into a studio with just a boring, you know, plain backdrop. We're going to go to one of these places. The challenge then becomes with these gorgeous places is they've been photographed a million times over. So how do we do it well without doing something that's already been done? And that's where little other flavors come into play. So like that, um, you can see the red there or that. That's our 2020 cover. So the background is Gotham Hall. Gotham Hall has been around for a while. We actually shot our very first cover there in 2013. And it's a gorgeous place, but thousands of couples have gotten married there and have taken you know, those iconic shots with the ceiling, the dome ceiling behind them. How do we do it so it's equally gorgeous, but a little different than what's been done? And that's where we say, okay, let's get a hot red convertible, you know, a 1953 Ford Fairlane convertible and have them sit in the back seat with the venue in the background. Yeah. Um, you know, stuff like that. Um, and then sometimes we just have to say, you know what? These photos that have already been taken there are beautiful. And we're not going to be different for the sake of different. We're just going to do the obvious or not obvious, but logical photo. We'll do it to the best of our ability. <laughs> and then the allure becomes, you know, the latest Panina Tornai from Kleinfeld or the latest Galia Laha from Bridal Reflections. Um, so, you know, every, every photo shoot is approached differently. Then the next thing we do is we get the best photographers. Um, when it comes to these shoots, we often feel like producers and we don't necessarily dictate every single photo down to the last detail, but rather we give an outline and then we let the photographer, um, create within that outline because odds are he has a better vision in his head than I do. Um, and, and then when it's time to lay out the magazine, it's actually more fun for me to lay out a, a photo that our photographer got that I didn't necessarily envision in my head beforehand. I just gave him really good elements and ingredients and he was the chef who put it all together. And then I get to put it on our cover. <laughs> um, here and there, uh, I will shoot some of them myself. So we just did a shoot uh, for this edition that's about to come out with um, Kyle and Amanda from the, the TV show Summer House on Bravo. So with them, it was a particularly fun shoot because one, they're gorgeous. Mm -hmm. Two, they're a real engaged couple. 
three, not only are they engaged, they had to postpone their wedding just like a lot of other people this past year. So they had some disappointment and sadness and our photo shoot was an opportunity for them to play dress up in wedding attire. So they really, really embraced it. What was really cool about that shoot was we wound up doing it at the Intercontinental Barclay, which is a really nice hotel. Uh, And we shot it mostly in their penthouse suite, which is on the roof and has a rooftop terrace. It was amazing. Behind the scenes, what nobody is going to know is the hotel hasn't reopened yet. They gave us permission to go in there and shoot. So we were shooting in this empty um, high rise in Manhattan. So it has this enormous, gorgeous lobby that we had all to ourselves. We got to shoot in there with no obstructions, no tourists coming in with a valet cart full of luggage, nobody recognizing Amanda and Kyle and interrupting a shot to get an autograph. Um, and, and as a result, not only did we get great, get, get great photos, we got amazing video as well, because we video all of our shoots. So in a, a week or so when the magazine comes out and their feature is on our website, you can also watch the video from their shoot on our website. Um, so that'll be fun for people. But that shoot, the reason why I brought it up, I actually personally shot that one. So typically, though I am a photographer, I don't like to photograph our shoots because I also have to be the producer and in charge of everything that's going on and stay on a schedule and, and coordinate things and deal with last minute problems that arise because there's always something but with this shoot, because I knew we were going to be in this very controlled environment, this hotel that was closed, um, and because our crew was smaller than usual because of the pandemic, you know, we can't have a lot of people on the set. I said, you know what? I'm going to shoot this one. <laughs> and boy, was it fun. And, and I, I'm lying a little bit. The truth is my first choice photographer wasn't available. <laughs> um, and then I said, you know what? I really want to shoot this one. And this person isn't available, so I'm going to go ahead and I'm going to do it. Um, so, uh, and I'm very proud of uh, of the the end result, and I can't wait for everybody to see it in the magazine. When when I saw because they were posting like on social media that they were like all the pictures, I was like, oh my god, did they get married today? Like, I'm dying. <laughs> I need to know because I'm like a huge Summer House fan. Oh yeah, yeah. Oh my god, love that show. Yeah, they're really nice. Yeah, it was rare. It was just so cool. And of course, like, you know, part of the premise of the show this season is people wondering and speculating, did they get married? Did they not get married? It's like a whole storyline about did they postpone or not? And then the photo shoot, you saw like some behind the scenes videos that came out. I, it was in like January, right? Or early. Yeah, late, uh, late January, yeah. Yeah. And, and so, so funny. And people are like, everybody's speculating and you see it all over like different news outlets. Like did Kyle and Amanda get married yesterday? Yeah. It was just so funny. It, it, it was funny too, because so leading up to the shoot, um, they were emailing me a lot with all kinds of questions and, and some texts and the questions <clears throat> sort of led me to believe they didn't have a lot of faith in us. Like they were really nervous about us. And I realized after spending the day with them and having conversations with them, it was, they were asking question after question because they were nervous. Even though they're on a TV show, they don't do a lot of photo shoots. And on the rare occasion they do do a photo shoot, it's the entire cast of the show all together, smiling, looking right at the camera, and then that's it. They'd never done something like this before. 
So they had a lot of fun. They really embraced it and that made it more fun for us. But I'll tell you another funny story with, with Cynthia and Mike. So we shot theirs at the Essex house and on Central Park South. That shot with the, uh, the white Maybach was the very first setup we did. So, you know, most of the day we're upstairs in the suite changing hair and makeup and, and Cynthia's dresses and Mike's tuxedos. And it was a cold winter day when we shot that. We came down for our first setup. So we're on Central Park South and we were out there for maybe 15 minutes because it was so cold. But in that time, those red double-decker tour buses are going by and, you know, you can't see it from the photo, but that was a very busy sidewalk and people are going by and they're recognizing Cynthia and they're taking their photos. And they're immediately putting their photos on social media. And then one person, <clears throat> this woman who recognized Cynthia wound up spending the entire day standing outside of the hotel just waiting to see her again. She got the idea to send the photos to TMZ. So we're doing that first setup for 15 minutes. Now fast forward a few minutes. We're back upstairs in the suite. Cynthia is in the hair and makeup chair getting her makeup fixed. We're getting ready to do the second setup with the second dress. Her cell phone rings. It's her daughter in California angry with her saying, Mom, what are you doing in New York getting married right now without me there? So TMZ got the photos and they made up their own story. They didn't know it was a photo shoot. They thought Cynthia and Mike were having a secret wedding. And that was the story they put out on their website. Oh, my God. So there are a lot of fun elements to the celebrity. <laughs> <laughs> that is so fun. I know I see these photo shoots and I'm like, oh, they're just so gorgeous. And I can't wait to see this upcoming, you know, issue, especially with um, Daniela and Pasha, because I'm a huge Dancing with the Stars fan. Oh, yeah. We, um there's a little bit of luck involved with these shoots and the way that presented itself this year was, so the photo shoot for the first time ever in nine years, we had to postpone our photo shoot. We've never postponed a shoot before, but the photo shoot was originally supposed to happen when we had that ridiculous snowstorm back in January with, you know, the 20 feet of snow. Oh yeah. So obviously it had to be postponed for a few days, but what was great about it was because we were shooting in New Jersey the snow was still there and it was still gorgeous and white. You know, and New Yorkers know that in New York City, the snow falls and 45 minutes later, the snow turns dark gray. Yeah. And because there are subways running underground, the ground heats up and the snow becomes slush. That doesn't happen in New Jersey. <laughs> so, um, yeah, so we, we had the option when we were shooting their, their, their cover and their feature of getting these really beautiful photos outside with this pure white snow around them. So that was beautiful. And it brings to mind another father of the bride reference. You know, there's that scene where the wedding is finally happening and it snows for the first time in LA in 30 years. <laughs> and the wedding planner's assistant goes, he's carrying the buckets of snow. And he says, all I can say is, thank God snow is white. It just works. And, and we were feeling the same way. It, it was so beautiful. true. Yeah. Yeah. I know even like living on Long Island too, it's like in the city, snow doesn't like work as much because you don't get to keep that like pretty look for yeah. like a long amount of time. Yeah, no, not at all. <laughs> so, but uh, yeah, so uh, the, the Pasha and Daniela shoot, um, th that was, that was a good one. We're, we're pretty uh, excited for everybody to see that one too. Um, just like the, the Kyle and Amanda and, and Pasha and Daniela are interesting because so they're already married. Um, but they spent the pandemic 
launching <clears throat> this business that they had in mind for a long time called WeddingDance.School. And essentially what it is, is you, you're a couple getting married anywhere in the world, really, but anywhere in the country, you email WeddingDance.School and you tell them what your first dance song is, your first song is, or they can help you pick the song. They choreograph your first dance for you and they teach you how to do the choreography. Um, so in launching that business, they've spent the last several months, six months really, immersing themselves in wedding culture and going to um, bridal salons local to where they live in LA. They're New Yorkers, but they live in LA for the show. And they were you know, really falling in love with all things weddings all over again. Yeah. Um, so, I mean, they just had a blast with all the dresses we brought in and, and the hair and the makeup. And um, for, the, for the actual cover, we figured, hey, they're dancers, let's make them dance. Right. But if we're gonna make them dance, there has to be some context, even though it's a photo, we can't have it look like they're dancing to nothing. So we brought in a band too. But rather than have the band just stand there and hold up their, you know, their instruments, they played. So you'll see this in the video. Um, they're dancing and there's a band behind them. And, and the band was really playing. Oops, should have shut that off. And only shut off one phone, not both. Um, but putting them. There's an expression. I'll let that go. Um, there's an expression about dancers. The hardest thing for a dancer to do is stand still. So it's not completely true. Um, but with that guiding principle, we figured, okay, we're not going to have them stand still. We're going to put them in their element and have them move. And as a result, we got these amazing photos. Um, and whether it was dancing or bringing them into the private wine room at the hotel and having Daniela climb the ladder, she just did it with so much grace, you know, because she is a dancer, that it made for photos that we wouldn't have gotten otherwise. Um, it, it was tremendous. Um, and then even different photos, simpler photos. There's one photo that we took of Danielle alone without Pasha. They have these, the, the hotel is brand new. So they have these long, gorgeous hallways that are not too ornate. They're very tasteful. And we realized we can put her just leaning against the wall and shoot her from 30 feet away. So we get the distance, you know, the sense of the distance of the hallway. And she just gave us this sultry pose that was outstanding because the reality is a talented dancer can stand still, but still do a thousand different things that you don't really, you can't pinpoint what's going on other than, wow, this whole thing is amazing. Um, and, and we got that. So uh, that's going to be fantastic when people get to see it. I'm very excited. <laughs> I'm so excited. I want to ask you when, um, when does the magazine come out on shelves? Um, it will be available on Amazon as of March 11th, 11th or 12th around there. So next um, week. Yeah, it, 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 we're a few days late, you know, the snowstorms that happened some weeks ago, we, we don't print our magazine in the New York area because there are no printers in the New York area that do this kind of a job. Um, but you know, what was going on across the country with the storms kind of threw everything off schedule. Um, 
it, you know, so it, it is a little delayed, but yeah, March 11th or 12th, uh, it'll be on Amazon. And then uh, within the two or three days following, it'll be at Barnes and Nobles and Whole Foods and all those other stores. Um, but the easiest thing to do is just go to uh, sophisticatedweddings.com and there's a buy link. Um, and when you see the new cover there, that's when it's available. Um, and I know all of the people that worked on the shoots for the new edition are itching to post on social media. You've only seen a few behind the scenes iPhone photos. They want to post the real thing. So when it's available, because we're making them wait, obviously, until it's available for sale, um, Instagram will be flooded with uh, all the new stuff. Yes. And um, as a reader of the magazine, um, it is one that as a you know, bride, groom, vendor, anyone in the wedding industry, you're going to want to go out and buy it because it's definitely a magazine that you want for a little light reading. We, um, it's we have funny. more time in this pandemic, you know? Uh, it's funny you mentioned the grooms. So, you know, typically just in general, in the publishing world, magazines are not read by men, unless it's Sports Illustrated and Car and Driver, you know, 85% of magazines are purchased by women. So our readership is largely women and their mothers. But we realized very early on that we were, though the mothers and the brides themselves were emailing us with questions, very often that question was pertaining to their groom, um, specific to the tuxedo usually. And to take it even further than that, I don't know if you remember, but here in New York, the 90s brought us Casual Fridays. <laughs> and Casual Friday kind of turned into a casual work environment in a lot of businesses. And the more that seeped into reality, the less young men in their 20s and even their 30s knew how to properly wear a suit or a tuxedo. Um, so we have those guys in mind when we do our photo shoots and we write our articles and our blog posts, we know that they might not know the proper way to go out and find what they're going to wear on their wedding day and what one lapel means versus another or one tie means versus another or when black is appropriate versus blue um, or all the personalizations that the groom can do with his tuxedo, you know, the lining or um, you know, a little special note to his wife. One of my favorite things to um, advise a groom on if he's getting a custom tuxedo, which is very popular and very common now, or even if it's something off the rack, is to get an inscription on the inside of the jacket right below the pocket and have it be like the name of their song that they're going to dance to or the movie that they saw on their first date or a cute little phrase that they say to each other, something very personal. So you know how in the wedding you have the reveal for the bride, the groom sees the bride for the first time, the photographer is over there capturing it. Well, now here's the opportunity for the groom to have a reveal as well. Um, he can open up the jacket and show his bride a surprise. And then you get that reaction too. And it's a special moment that they share. Yeah. So I yes, there is something for the grooms. <laughs> Uh, and and we're living in a world now where everything is so custom mm -hmm. and it's important to touch on the grooms too because you know they want like a little they want something custom. Well, you know, it, there's a lot of elements to that you know there's the, the the whole customization thing for the grooms one it's good for those guys who don't know um how to wear a suit you know because they've never bought one on their own we, you know we get emails about grooms who haven't <clears throat> gotten a new suit since their bar mitzvah 
And when you go custom, there's somebody there who is, for lack of a better word, teaching you how to wear a suit. And I don't want to say teaching because I've been there for those appointments and they don't come off like a tutor, but they do guide you. And that's not something that you always get buying off the rack. The other um, uh, misperception that a lot of people have about custom is that it's obscenely expensive. How much you spend has to do with what fabric you pick. So your suit can cost you $3,000 and up, um, but it can also cost you $600, which is pretty much the same thing you're going to spend if you go to a chain store and buy a nice designer suit off the rack. In some cases, it's less than you'll spend on a nice designer suit off the rack. But the difference is you're getting something custom um, that you'll have for as long as you don't gain any weight. (laughs) (laughs) So true. And I mean, I know a lot of people, they'll they'll buy like a tuxedo um, even for their wedding. And it's like the one that they have then like forever going on. Yeah. Well, that's the, that's the thing with the grooms. I mean, typically people who are of marrying age, you know, the second half of their 20s to the first half of their 30s, their wedding is not the only wedding they're going to attend that year. So the bride can't wear her wedding dress again, but that groom can wear his tux over and over again. So yes. he will get a lot of use out of it. Yeah, I know. These grooms, they have it so much better than these brides. It is simpler for the guys. <laughs> so I have to ask you one last question. Everybody who comes on, I ask this question. What advice do you have for our brides and grooms currently planning in the midst of a pandemic? Huh. I mean, there are subsets of that question because are they planning for the near future or some months out? But um, um, I need a second. I think that what they need to do, what I would advise them to do is map out their dream wedding you know, on paper, in conversation, and then from there, decide what's possible and what's available to them and what just isn't possible. And then they have to decide, are those things that are not possible important? You know, put it on a scale of one to 10. Is it a one or is it a nine? Um, If it's a nine, then you have to decide, well, do we postpone a little bit more? Or if it's a one, do you say, well, then we don't need it. Um, because everything about your wedding for the next couple of months is going to be a question mark. Now, that's not necessarily specific to the pandemic. You know, there are people who fall in love with their venue because of the outdoor area where they're going to have their ceremony. You're gambling on the weather. So before you book that place, because you love the idea of your ceremony or your photos on the outdoor part of the grounds, you have to give it a one to 10 of how important it is because it might rain that day and you might not be able to have the ceremony outside. Yeah. So, you know, just plan your dream wedding and then break down what is the most important, what makes it your dream wedding. Um, So, uh, you know, and take it from there. Um, And you know what, another piece of advice I would give, and this is also not specific to the pandemic, a wedding is, for lack of a better term, an emotional purchase, which makes it very easy for people to overspend. It's not just the biggest day of your life. It's also a theatrical production of sorts. And theatrical productions don't begin without a budget. 
So I think before you meet with your planner who you might hire or toward the venue you might want to book, you have to do a little bit of research and find out what things cost and then decide what you're willing to spend, what that budget is and how much you're going to allocate for each thing. And then if you work with a planner, your planner will help you with that budget and tell you if it's realistic or not, or what categories within it you didn't assign enough money to, or what categories you don't need, uh, or will cost you less. So that when it comes down to three quarters of the way through your planning, and you still haven't booked your cake, you're not cutting back because you're just simply tired of spending, 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 no matter how wealthy you are, nobody likes throwing away money. Right. So uh, as much as this is an emotional thing and it's all about love and, and, and a, a spiritual and emotional connection, the wedding also does have to be entered into a little bit like a production so that it doesn't become a negative for you. Absolutely. And I mean, you touch on something so important, um, you know, over here at the Bride Tender podcast, we're always trying to help people save a dollar, but also yeah. we're trying to put them in the real world that like, this is not a cheap day. So no. have, you know, have those discussions beforehand financially, what you're looking to put into it, and then start your search based on that budget. Right. And, and you know, better than than anybody that a good planner will save you what their planning fee is um a a good planner you know if the fee is 15 grand 25 grand 35 grand whatever it is they've done this many times and you never have if you're the couple so they can save you not just an ordeal and save you time um, they can save you the amount of money at a minimum that they're, that is equivalent to their fee. Right. Right. Because the good planner is only going to put you in the direction, um, that would make sense for you. Right. And most importantly, make sense financially. And prevent, prevent you from making mis- costly mistakes. Yes. Because they've already done this before many times. Many times. Yeah. So, you know, I can't, uh overstate the importance of the planner (laughs) well we love that over here at the bride (laughs) i know (laughs) steve where can everybody you know follow you so that they're going to be able to see photos and everything as soon as the magazine comes out next week um the easiest thing is to just go to sophisticatedweddings.com um it has the links to our social media it has the buy link to get the magazine on Amazon. Um, but uh, if you find yourself in a Barnes and Noble or a Whole Foods or any other place in the New York area, magazines are sold. Look over where the wedding magazines are. You'll see our cover. Perfect. I will be on Amazon on March 11th. And purchasing <laughs> you get one for free. You know that. Oh my God. Steve, we can't tell everybody that. <laughs> um, well, Steve, thank you so much for coming on today's episode. Um, it is so good to see you after such a long time. I know, right? <laughs> so long, but um, I can't wait to be getting back into weddings. And, you know, hopefully in 2022, we're going to see a big sophisticated weddings event since, yeah. you know, we know this year is a little different, but For everybody who doesn't know, if you're in the industry and you don't know, obviously you're doing something a little wrong, but 
um, sophisticated weddings host some of the most awesome events. They do a few yearly, but their release part, their magazine release party usually would happen around this time. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's definitely a big to do in Manhattan. Our, our 2020 event was the last event of the year. Um, it was seriously. Yeah. It, it was on February uh, 28th of 2020. And it was only two days prior to that, that I heard the term N N95 mask for the first time. Right. I know. So we, you know, we, we've been saying, you know, we had this big 800 guest party at Gotham hall. Um, Cause that's where the cover was. And uh, a couple of weeks later, the world came to an end. <laughs> it was, it was literally a month later that we were in quarantine. I so. know. And, and, and the thing is when the quarantine started, everyone thought it was going to be two weeks. Yeah. Oh, we were planning a June event. Right. We, um, right. I was, it, it was uh, the end of March or the beginning of April that I was on the phone. With, uh, I had a, a three-way call with somebody from Kleinfeld and, so, and a venue about doing a welcome back, so to speak, party at the end of June. Um, because in the early days of the, the pandemic, we were being told on TV four to six weeks. Right. <laughs> so um, I, I had this somewhat naive notion that one day we were going to be in a pandemic and one day it was going to be over. Yeah. Um, it didn't occur to me that one, it was going to take a lot longer and two things weren't going to come back overnight. It was going to be gradual. So, but we're, we're getting there. The light is at the end of the tunnel. Yes. We are. Fi well, we're finally seeing the light yeah. after, after such a long time. So, Absolutely. you know, um, I look forward to attending some of your events as soon as things, you know, come back. And, you know, I wish for you, for me, for everybody in the wedding industry, a super prosperous remainder of 2021 post March 15th. Yes. And, um, you know, and I look forward to seeing you soon. Um, you, you know, will. you definitely will in the world of weddings. Um, for everybody, uh, thank you so much for tuning in to today's episode of the Bride Tender Podcast, where we put out a new episode every single Monday. You can listen on um, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, anywhere that you stream your podcasts, as well as watch on YouTube if you just want to see, you know, put some, you know, names and faces together with our voices. Um check us out on YouTube. If you're not already following me on Instagram, please go follow me at The Bride Tender for all fun facts on the wedding industry, ways to save money on your special events, and of course, hiring the best in the business for your wedding day. Make sure to um, head over to sophisticatedweddings.com and uh, score your magazine. Um, it's coming out next week and um, it introduces you to the best vendors in the business, best vendors, best venues. And, um, you know, you're going to get a little more of an insight into New Jersey weddings, which is, uh, you know, we all know in the wedding industry, it's on the rise right now. So Steve, thank you so much for coming on. Thank you and, for having me. Um, everybody until next week, mix yourself a cocktail, slide into my DMS with questions you want answered on all things weddings. Stay sane, stay healthy, and we'll catch you next week. Bye.